here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to wrestling omikaze episode number 33 our second try at starting this episode but hopefully things will go smoother this time uh laptops are basically the enemy of wrestling omikaze this week um and multiple multiple different laptops honestly but this week we are here to discuss the world wonder ring stardom specifically the history of stardom and my guests at this time are a returning guest who was last on the Joshi, um, basically the pri- the Joshi Primer. It's the best way to put it, I guess. Mr. Sean Williams. Hello, Sean. Hey, John. You all are lucky that uh, we've had some technical difficulties or this thing will be like four and a half, five hours. So you, <laughs> you have to pack well, up a, a sandwich. There's a three-hour limit to the podcast host, first of all. But now, now there's a two-and-a-half-hour limit on me not getting, like, dumped. So, <laughs> basically... And then I'm my so other guest. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It was my fault too. First was my laptop. We were supposed to start at eight, and like, anyway. So, <laughs> and our new guest, the other recipient of laptop problems today, is uh, Miss Tara Rist. Hello, Tara. Hello, hello. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, should I give my Twitter handle or? Uh... I forget well, you how can this pl- goes. You can, you can plug in, I usually plug them at the at the very end, 
But yeah, the thing the thing I usually do with first time guests is I usually like to hear, you know, how you got into wrestling and then how you got into the subject. But if you want to uh, you that know, information. I don't remember when I got into wrestling, but the first memory I have of wrestling is of course like a lot of Americans my age, the attitude era. Yeah. And <laughs> so then, it fucking sucks. <laughs> and then, you know, round, you know, after, you know, I hate to put it this way, but, uh, you know, my interest in the in wrestling fell off steeply uh, in September of 2001 for what I think are pretty obvious reasons. Mm. Uh, and I just never got back into it until I'd say maybe 2000, 2010. Uh, and it was specifically Joshi wrestling that got me back into it because I watched a who was it? I think I found I found a gif of a shark Sachia match, and I, I was like, "What the? F- Who's that? She's a she's a heel. I uh, I'm gonna get what promotions? Want to say FMW era? Yeah, I think it was FMW. Uh, and she she was cutting her f- opponent's forehead wide Definitely open FMW. with that. <laughs> With a, with either I can't even remember if it was a Kasari Gama or an actual scythe now, uh, and I was just like I've never seen anything like this before, mm-hmm. and this was like a couple of years after I had just come to terms with my own gender identity, and I was just like adrift trying to figure out some sort of gender expression that I could, you know, recognize as like matching my own and really buff ladies you know hurting each other just seemed to speak to something deep within my soul that needed to be expressed and i've just never looked back ever since yeah, makes sense and so so, so do, yeah. were you watching stardom right at the start i don't not right at the start uh i got into it when Akiyasukawa showed up mm. uh that's gonna be kind of where a lot of my interest comes from, like a lot of other people, I perked up when I saw this crazy ass pirate lady drinking bottles of booze and spitting them in her opponent's faces. I was just like, <laughs> and you know, I was just like, okay, I gotta know what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and so, so this is like pre to, to, to set the table, but basically the main thing we're gonna be talking about today is like pre stardom world, you know, um, very early stardom into the, I guess, as far as we can get, which both of you have, you know, watched quite a bit of. And I have to, there's one of those episodes where I'm going to have to let the guests carry things because I haven't seen a ton of early stardom. I think really my, you know, my stardom viewing really only goes back to the stardom world days. And then later on when I got yeah. the, yeah. later on when well, I got Sean like, might, box, so. I don't want to speak for Sean, but Sean might actually have a better ability to speak statistically to that stuff than even I will because I watched a lot of it as it aired and now a lot of it's hard to come by because it's been you know taken down or whatever and I've always been kind of off in the off in the reads I've never been part of any sort of cohesive network of fandom for any of this so people who compile things and keep archives i've never had access to them most of the time mm-hmm. i've just been catch as catch can 
so when something goes away, I don't, I can't, I don't know where to go to get it back. I didn't find out about Real Hero, for example, until like a couple of days before it shut down. Oh wow, wow! Like people were tweeting about it, and I, re- I realized this after the fact, but I didn't have any clue about it. Really, like I still don't even know where it was. It's Google Drive. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, but, so. but yeah, Sean. I mean, Sean. For for you know, people don't know, he had a. Has had I don't know what if it, it probably, had, I, I'm gonna start writing about stardom again for someone at some point. There's too much that I want to write, but I did for a while have a blog, the uh, the stardom project that briefly ended up getting me a gig writing uh, writing show oh. reviews on the official stardom website for a cup of coffee until life got in the way. It turns out business school keeps you busy. Who knew? Tara, you gonna say something? Uh, I was just going to say that's funny because of the fact that. Uh, I've been using Stardom Project to refresh myself on some of the basics that I've otherwise forgotten over the past couple of weeks since we started really doing this, the planning this in earnest. And you do not realize. And I had Sean no idea. Uh, you know, it's what happens when I change my handle. And now, since I'm now the Dragon Suplex on Twitter, not Stardom Project anymore, uh, no one knows who I am. It's anonymity is kind of fun. <laughs> well, as long as you, as long as you don't use it for. More nefarious means as we've seen no. on wrestling sure. Twitter in the past. Yeah, let, let's let's not discuss that. Let's. Oh, I know. Let's, I just, let's I get just, into happier topics. Let's it, get. It was. It's been. It's been quite the week, though. <laughs> it really, has been quite the week. But John, you're you're talking I am about an innocent babe. I have no idea what nefarious means you are talking about. Oh let's, my god! Let's, have you really not heard this, this? Tara? Have you really John, not heard no, the big thing no, going on? I'm not going to tell her. I'm just I'm amazed by this. I wish I hadn't too. Like I want to know what her what her secret is. Um, <laughs> she clearly I don't follow the people. Right people. But you follow, follow me. Them. I think I tweet about it like constantly. I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it's my crazy. Twitter feed, like I have this problem where my Twitter feed shows me like maybe half of the tweets other people are actually making. I say. Like, like it's it's Twitter. I I I feel like people have that problem a lot. But well, it's, like, it's what cool it means that is that I miss these things. Well, you you missed a great a great thing to miss, honestly. Um, but, yeah, but yeah. So so John, I know you're a little worried, but don't worry. We'll we'll call this one on the podcast for you. We'll get you through this. Okay. So yeah. So like I I've seen like I probably seen like random matches here yeah. or there. Like I have distinct memories of like the alpha female in Stardom, for example. Yep. So I definitely I, at some point I guess downloaded individual matches of that. And yeah. so, like, I'll be able to chime in here or there, probably. But yeah, it's going to be the. I mean, Alpha's time. run was pretty significant. We can yeah. get into that. And someone someone asked about Al- about what we thought about Alpha's run in Stardom, so we'll get to that. But I think we should start with uh, start with the beginning, in the sense that this is a company run initially and still to this day by Rossi Ogawa, who was also involved in all Japan women's and mean he was a photographer even before he was involved in the front office for them way back in the day. So sort of kind of that Jim Cornette story eventually involved in in RC and eventually involved in JD star, both of which are really kind of spiritual successors to what stardom would go on to be. And someone also asked us about Yuzupan, Yuzuki Aikawa. And I think I'll throw this to you, Tara, to start with, because I don't really think there's any analog in American wrestling to Yuzuki Akawa and what her being part of this company really meant. Can I just say, if you move on, though, JD Star, JD Star has my favorite dress wrestler of all time. Bloody. I would have won a oh. bet because I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> uh, 
I love the bloody. I can't. That was like probably my first like Joshi crush when I was like first getting into it, like the early two thousands. So I couldn't not. Me- I couldn't like let. I couldn't let that go without mentioning it. But uh, yeah, I, the closest now. These are my biases speaking. The closest analog I can come with in terms of what I would see in terms of the fan base reaction was maybe AJ Lee, but there really is no. But that's not even comparable really it's funny because like what i would have tried to say is kind of like a trish stratus but it doesn't work for multiple reasons i mean first of all yuzuke akao was a gravore idol which again there's no real analog for what that is like you could say absolutely none like compare her to like like the victoria's secret like or cover girl or something like that but for how popular she was she took on a challenge at one point started a new blog and agreed that if she didn't hit 20 million hits in like, I think it was like three months or something, she would retire from entertainment. And she got those 20 million hits in like three weeks. Like her popularity level, very, very high. Yeah. Uh, she's immensely influential. I I said this on Twitter because I wanted to expand on it on the podcast, but uh, Sean's right that JD Starr and Arsian were, predecessors to stardom they were first tries at it and if you look back at like arsian uh i think sean will agree with me because i saw him say the same thing uh if you look back at arsian there are several attempts to do what they eventually did with use with use upon but they weren't use upon you without use upon there would be no stardom whatsoever when they found Yuzuki Aikawa, they found what would make stardom work. I agree with that 100%. I literally don't think this company exists. I don't think Ogawa gets the backing and the money to put this company up unless it's around Aikawa. And Arsian is like, JD Star is really, I think, even more of a direct analog because you also had some conflict with the uh, more traditional wrestlers on the roster and what were called actresses, athletic actresses, sort of the portmanteau, the two words. And the entire concept was that thought, hmm, let's get these attractive, like, girls who can act, teach them how to wrestle, and then hope they become idols, and then they'll become super popular. I mean, it's, again, kind of going back to the beauty pair and, like, the traditional Joshi, like, a lot of the super big names, in addition to being wrestlers, also had, like, little mini pop careers. I shouldn't say mini pop careers, like... Top no, no, beauty pair was huge. Big, big, big. Yeah. And we all know so, what happened with the beauty pair. <laughs> so, so Yuzuki Aikawa, from what I understand, because I had to read up on this, she was basically like a, she was like a, a, a swimsuit idol, right? Before Gravere. Stardom existed. Gravure, yeah. right. A Gravure so idol, which That they taught almost how to the wrestle. same thing. So they just, taught, they just taught her how to wrestle because she was this attractive uh, woman who had a following, no, right? I Is that basically she, she had a gig that got her interested in doing wrestling. I think she was. Oh, I see. She was. So she's more. So it's like Hikaru, like like Hikaru Shida, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was kind of the same thing that got Hikaru Shida and Tsukasa and uh, Miyako Matsumoto into uh, wrestling later. Because uh, yeah, like, there's this whole like cottage industry, right? Like of Japanese women who like get into get like an acting role or something that requires them to study wrestling, and then like a couple of them. Just like a lot of them will do a match or two, and then like a few of them will just stick with it and make that their career. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's that many, but it's significant. 
the ones that do stick around wind up being like Yuzupan, Tachita, uh, Fujimoto. Uh, if they stick with it, they go big. Like yeah. we can see that with actress girl girls now too. Which is like, like a real think, promotion that that never because of like it rarely makes tape, but it's, it's basically on, meaning pro, I think, right? Yeah, think it's it's, it's thing, on basically. It's on um. They're both of those promotions are are on Battlemen and like um Joshi Oshi Goto all the time because I watch those two shows pretty regularly and I see them all. So even though they don't make traditional tape. I, I'm, right, I'm, I'm, I'm officially jealous of you, by the way, for getting to see a lot more Sauriano and uh, Natsumi Maki than I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see all I these. I see all these girls in like two minute in like two minute shifts, but like, you know, I see them all the time. So, but yeah, it, it, I mean, some of them like they had they had a whole segment on Battleman the other day that I saw when they had on the the AKB Idol, not AKB. I'm sorry to be the fun runner, but we are getting off topic and we have uh-huh. a very limited amount yeah, no, of time. That's good. Thank you. But but yeah, uh, the, the actresses thing—it's it's just a big thing, basically. Yeah, uh, they really prize getting those kind of transmedia, um, like workers, like people who can do like you can do like the traditional idol thing, and you know, you know, beat the hell out of each other on for <laughs> money. Yeah. Um, like and you know you don't get one like y- Yuzuki Akawa every day. You really don't because she was that total package in every way. And if it weren't for you know, if it weren't for you know how rough it was on her, who knows where we'd be now? Yeah. So I think to continue on from there. So Akawa is undoubtedly the centerpiece. She starts training with Fuka Kakimoto who was one of the last actresses to come out of JD Star, had a kickboxing background, had put on her own Fukamatsuri shows, which uh, Aikawa would later take and do her own self-promoted shows, Yuzupan Matsuri. And they eventually basically began recruiting other talent to start training under Fuka and eventually put together the promotion that would be World Wonder Ring Stardom. Aikawa's debut actually happened on one of those uh, Yuzupan Matsuri self-promoted uh, shows in what is a somewhat notoriously brutal match against uh, Nanai Takahashi that is more or less Aikawa's blooding into the wrestling business, for lack of a better term. Well, so, so this is the match, right, where she had, like, the... where she took a picture afterwards and, like, had all those bruises on her boobs? Yes. Okay. Yeah. This yes. is the, it, her eye is swollen shut. It's it's a pretty graphic match in that regard. It's very guy guy girls. And then I turned her into a piece of bloody meat, kind yeah. of. Not unlike what would happen later on, but we'll get to that if we get to that. But, uh, which is funny because of, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about, which is uh, stardom's kind of. I'm and, sorry. And why. Are you, sorry, you cut off there. Repeat that. I, I said the, the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about. With there is like the reason why as a couple of people have asked us questions about why is it that stardom is so kind of hermetically sealed from the rest of the business and you know Nanai is part of that <laughs> for a lot of it yeah. I, I mean do you want to give her background a little bit since she's such a big part of the founding of the promotion uh, Sean do you want to feel yeah, this I- one I can take this one, I think. So 
Nanai Takahashi basically became the playing manager of the company. She was one of the two established veteran wrestlers in the roster, along with Natsuki Tayo, who was like one of her very close friends. Nanai sort of came about sort of toward the end stages of All Japan Women's, was involved in a bunch of uh, a bunch of other companies. Pro Wrestling Sun, I think at one point, was affiliated with uh, Zero One. Yeah. She also ended up working with uh, with with Kana now, of course, Asuka in World Wrestling Entertainment and uh, the Shirai Sisters. I don't remember if she was part of Triple Tails or if she was otherwise affiliated with them, but... Oh, boy, of, did she work with Kana. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, of these, uh, all <laughs> of these sort of uh, independence, like, in between, or sort of were a lot of the relationships that would go on to sort of be involved more so in the early days of stardom when Shidai, Shidai came into the company very early, in, like, the first year of the company. Yeah. Tail end of the first year, if I recall yeah. correctly. I do want to say before you get into that, Nane, like her whole history, her tag team with Momo Nakan, uh, Momoi Nakanishi is still, I think, one of my favorite like Joshi tag teams of all time. It's like such an awesome team, and it's like the it's like almost like the tall the tall and small like meme come to life. So if you've never if you've never <laughs> seen that if you've never seen that stuff, really go like go back and watch it. I remember I just remember this cage match they had. I think with like uh, Mita and. Shimoda or whatever that team's name was, like I, just, they've had some crazy matches. What? Yeah, yeah. I think LCO. So, I can't pronounce it. So yeah. I'm not so like, go back and watch that stuff. It's awesome. But yeah, I, I always have. I always liked. I always liked Nane. So that's why what happened with the Stardom Fallout and the fact that a lot of people hate her now. You know, I get it. It makes me sad, but I get it. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's unfortunate. Like, uh, she's briefly, a, she's a great. She's a great wrestler. Whatever. Issues. She's a she's a great wrestler. She honestly really cares about the people that she mentors, which is part of the reason why she got. Which is, let's talk about this for a second because it's an interesting thing that a lot of people don't know about because they know her all from, like you said, the horrible fallout of with everyone hating her because she sided with Yoshiko. Uh, but it's funny that. That's how everyone sees her because the reason why she fell out with Kana is because Kana, sh- Kana shoot beat the hell out of uh, Shu. Uh, what's what's her last name? Uh, I can't remember it now. Shoot beat the hell out of someone that Nanai was, you know, mentoring at the time, and Nanai ble- Nanai blew the hell up at Kana, slapped her if I recall correctly, and Passion Red. Uh, collapsed right from there right from then on because Nanai couldn't forgive Kana for not respecting boundaries of wrestling enough. Yeah. And so, so know, if you're wondering so that's basically why Kana, that, that's why Kana never wrestles in not not if you ask, not if you ask, also because Kana doesn't also because Kana doesn't Dave really Meltzer. care for that stuff. <laughs> it's a, not if you ask Dave Meltzer, then Kana is a, a former startup champion. Ah <laughs> uh, well, you know I don't listen to what Dave Meltzer says anyway. <laughs> it's just, a, it's really like that. That's an all-time like Dave Meltzer uh, error. Yes. Like when that, that one is came like up, it was just galaxy like, oh brain God. level. Yeah, it's like not only are you naming that you're, you're naming the one promotion that she would never appear in, not just because she never appeared in, because there's a there's an entire elaborate backstory behind why she never appeared in it. It'd be like if you yeah. said. The Undertaker was WCW champion or something. I don't know, but like, well, he actually wait. He wasn't. You don't WCW. remember? You don't remember that mean Mark Callis uh, yeah, Roman? I, for, I, for, I forgot he was in. The, well, he was in NWI. Oh, yeah. 
Anyway, so early, so not a Saga. No, that would be like no, that would be like saying the Undertaker was an IWA Mid South. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but yeah, so so Nani Takahashi, big part of the early stardom. Um, you know, Yuzuki Aikawa, big part of early stardom. Is there anybody else that we that like in the yeah, very I mean, beginning? I can we, run you. Yeah. Through, I can basically run you through the launch roster more or less. Okay, go ahead. Sean so, can go so through this faster than I can, so take it away. So it's it's the names we've already mentioned. I'll mention Natsuki Tayo again. Hopefully we'll talk about her a little bit more because I feel like the company really evolved into her style of wrestling more than an eye with a couple of exceptions. Then you have, in terms of the other trainees, you have Yoko Bito, who came in as the ace candidate, obviously just recently retired after her second run. She was being positioned for big things, but... It was clear that in sort of the positioning, she was sort of the number two face behind Aikawa, which I guess is understandable given use upon star power. Then you have uh, Yoshiko, Lord Voldemort to some people, but she was basically being positioned as the lead rookie heel right off the bat. She yeah, was she very, won, very she, good she, at she, it. she won the Rookie of the Year tournament in 2011. Yeah, she won the Rookie of the Year tournament in 2011 because they had to give something to someone who wasn't uh, Yuzuki Aikawa in that year. And Yoshiko wrestled for a very long time in what is to me the greatest attire in the history of wrestling, this horribly ugly gold lame jumpsuit that she seemed to wear basically just to say, yeah, I know this is hideous, but I'm going to kick your ass while I'm wearing it. You can't do a goddamn thing about it. She dressed like an old man on purpose. (laughs) And then there's also, um, you know, like Yoko Bito, who is a big part of the very first Yasuo Stardom champion with Aikawa. And, you know, I think people were like really stunned by her comeback, right? Yeah, no, like that's getting, that's getting ahead of things, but those kind of comebacks are now becoming the norm, which we'll hopefully get to in a little bit, given Saki Kashima, it's too soon to talk about her technically, so I'll just go back to people who debuted. We have Arisa Hoshiki and Mayu Iwatani, one of those names you probably know right now. The other, Hoshiki was Mayu's tag team partner. They formed this team very, very early yeah. on called AMA. Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. I need to back up just a second. Sure. It wasn't just Act Yasukawa that got me into stardom. Uh, it was Arisa Hoshiki. I remember this very specifically, her kicking people in the face. Yeah. She has this sweet Brazilian-style roundhouse kick where she throws the roundhouse kick, sort of torques her hip, and so when she actually kicks you in the head, she's kicking downwards at you. It looks so sweet. Yes, it's. One okay, of I, just saw, I, just, I, I just saw. I just saw. I just saw a gif of it. It's pretty. It's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, like it. It's so. It's so rude. It's like per- that's the only way to describe it. It is the rudest like thing. Yeah, like she puts her leg up. Like there's a slight pause, and you're like, okay, waiting for it, and then like the she does that snap off the second kick, and she's like, okay, there goes your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's really vicious and she was like a kind of tall like she, they list her at five six so she had like the legs to do this and just kick people's heads off i, I think um, it says a lot that when uh yo shirai came in and finally started putting together her own stable arisa hoshiki was one of the first people she snapped up yeah and we will get to that because in my opinion 2012 stardom with the unit wars is probably the creative highlight of the company i think the matches in some cases got better later on but it's hard to argue with 2012 top to bottom, I think. Yeah. And, like, just in general, just to make clear for people at home who might not be, um, you know, into Joshi or into stardom, even though stardom, we, we, we've talked a lot about already, about how it, like, personified the idol wrestling in, in some ways, 
that doesn't mean they don't beat the fucking shit out of each other, which is pretty <laughs> yeah. much the Joshi tradition of like if you think you know men's puro is stiff, like these women beat the fucking shit out of each other. Like pretty much any 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 like if you put they post on Twitter is pretty much just like a girl murders another girl. That's every it's, single Joshi death. I don't know if Sean would agree with me on this. I would say that over the past couple of years it's gotten way less so than when it what it was when it started. But in it, are you when they bring it, when they bring it, they still bring it. But yeah, like, I'm talking about like, but from that 2011 to about like about 2014, 2015, that's a solid run of. If you're watching a match, you're going to be watching a match of very beautiful women beating the holy hell out of each other. Yeah, overall, I think I agree with that, with the caveat that Freedom basically just kept beating the shit out of each other the entire time. <laughs> if, if EO and Mayu were to have a match tomorrow, yeah, yeah. I would just cringe the entire time because they do not care. They will beat each other. No, I would agree with that. Like, what I'm talking about is specifically, like, when you get to the upper card, it's still holy hell beat down time. Yeah. But from mid card to under card, what you're you're getting a lot more toned down stuff. And that's where I'm talking about the difference comes in between contemporary stardom and early stardom. Because when obviously in early stardom, there was no real undercard because everyone was at the undercard at the time, yeah. except for the veterans. So it's not surprising that everyone is beating the holy hell out of each other. Yeah, but I, once I, you get into like 2012, 2013, and they're still beating the holy hell out of each other, that's a different story. Yeah. But yeah, I think if, what you're talking about the main events is true because, like, you know, that elimination match they just had recently recently was, you know, I thought one of the oh, a, really, a really fantastic match, and they just fucking killed each other, all ten of them. So the main event is Nakano is like, if she sticks around, she could be the second coming of Yuzuki Akawa, but we'll see. Yeah. And you know, I just the, the other day I just watched um, Io and Io and Hojo from 2016. I was, it was on. They just happened to air that. On. Did you watch? Was it the five star match? I no, no, no. It was it was like the January 2016 title match right after Io. Uh, won the five the five star match is even oh, worse when when Io decides to console bomb Kyrie off the apron. Ah, <laughs> like, they just fucking it, that Io Kyrie match I just watched was one of my favorite matches. So I, I have to see the. I have to go back and watch the five star match. But yeah, they they just fucking killed each other for like yeah. a half hour. <laughs> so, yeah. Like the main events are just you know. I mean, look if you're. If that's what you're into, I you know the, you're gonna enjoy stardom a lot, honestly, especially yeah. the main events. But but like they're saying, like er, apparently early on it was even more. So I mean, I think it's a lot of reasons. I think it's people who are still learning their craft, and like one of the things about 2012, and I think 2011 too. Like stardom has never been a company that is devoid of effort. Their competitors go out every night and give it everything they have. And there are varying levels of skill. And I mean, I think you see this still on cards today where like a lot of Stardom's young wrestlers still learning still, but they go out there and they give it everything they've got. Like, and one of the most rewarding things, I mean, I think Tara said this uh, on Twitter at one point in a conversation is that the most rewarding thing about Stardom is that you get to watch, you get to watch them grow up. I mean, so nowadays Azumi is sort of, in modern stardom, really starting to figure out, really starting to put the pieces together. She yeah. was a kid fight wrestler for a like Haruka, who was another one of the uh, the early debut members of the stardom roster who would fight in three-minute exhibition matches 
and generally did this. The most famous one is, of course, against Kenny Omega. That's gotten a lot of publicity and makes Jim Cornette's eyeballs want to explode. Haruka had a good run with the company. She either drew or won every match until she got killed by Yoshiko, which I guess is an effective way to get your lead heel over by killing a nine-year-old. You know, I still haven't seen that match, but I want to at some point. If you have a way to let me see that match, please send it to me because I have been dying about that for years. And I have no, all I know is that she she kills this poor child. (laughs) I'll I'll see what I can do. It is pretty funny. Yeah. I I shouldn't say funny, but it's like, it's only funny because Haruka kind of does that face Joshi thing where she kind of works heel sometimes too like Mayu is my favorite when she does that because like main event Mayu when she gets kind of annoyed at someone just turns into this like great Rudo heel like like that tag match when she was with uh, Chiro Hashimoto the two of them were just such assholes the entire time it was great yeah Mayu is like Mayu is queen of acting like a heel while still being ob- still obviously being the face because you know who she's up against. Yeah, that, that match against Io at the end of at the end uh, of twenty yeah. yeah, at the end of twenty sixteen where she just she actually it's like her righteous anger, but she just fucking like she I remember when she lays Io across like drapes her across the top rope and just like fucking kills her <laughs> with that kick to get a kick to this prone woman. And like I think at some point she just like scrapes her foot against her face and just repeatedly and it's like well don't piss her off can we talk about that move I don't know the name for it but if you watch enough stardom matches that move pops up a lot was this the one where she you you mean like her running dropkick where she lays the person against the ropes and then murders them in cold blood I'm talking about I'm talking about taking her boot and just smushing it into her face yeah Yeah, I guess like something like that that's one of the moves that I remember from Akti Asakawa because when Akti Asakawa really, really gets pissed off, like she'll do that a lot. <laughs> so, to tr- so let's get let's move this along to 2012 so we can talk about more about Akti Asakawa and be correct for the timeline. Other quick names: Eddie Sousa starts off as a schoolgirl. Her main claim to fame and stardom is pretty much killing the DDT as a finisher, even deader than it already was. Like she loves doing these like two and three DDTs for near falls. Mm. But she ends up, she ends up getting, she ends up getting better and eventually develops a knockout punch as a finisher and changes her ring attire in 2012. So part of why we love 2012 so much is you get your second batch of rookies. Cause other than the initial batch, we start Saki Kashima shows up in the, like a couple months after the Can we talk about trainers. Saki Kashima real quick? Well, I know I'll, we I'll, want to skip to 2012, but I'll, I wanted I'll, to talk about Kashima for a second. I'll let you handle Kashima. I mean, she'll probably come up in 2012 too, but go ahead. Because Kashima, uh, yeah, she'll come up in 2012 for sure. But Kashima is interesting because she's the first person that they specifically recruited after stardom was established. She's the first wrestler that they, that wasn't, that wasn't specifically trained for stardom that they, that they, that Fuka recruited as Hey, we've got stardom here. Do you want to join? And uh, she start. She didn't start out as a heel, but she became one over time. But she came, became one very fast over 2011. 
I would kind of compare her to Alexa Bliss in the sense that they both start off as this kind of magical girl-esque thing. Like, Kashima wrestles in this pink outfit, yeah. like like a chiffon skirt. And if you She's want to compare... She's very pink. Yeah, very, pink. very pink. If you want a good comparison to modern stardom, Shiki Shibasawa's gear yeah. resembles I, I, her, Kashima's old gear in a way that I think may have actually been intentional. Like, uh, I made I, the joke on Twitter that like Shibuza was like the reincarnation of Saki Kashima. And now they're both in the same roster. So if Saki's a face, then they have to team, even though I love Shibuza. Yes. I just want the, cl- the Clone Wars in stardom. Yeah. Anyway, that's but, really all I wanted to say because I think it's she's the first really proof that stardom is like cohering as a as a stable thing around Yuzuki Akawa because Everyone else was either trained specifically for stardom or was a veteran wrestler. Saki is the first. Saki is like the first sign that people are actually coming to this promotion because of what's happening there. You know, it's. I like. I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but that's absolutely true. I really like that perspective. The other thing about Saki that I think people should know is that a lot of rookies are afraid to try new things in the ring. They stick to the basics. Saki does not do this. Saki does some of the most lucha influenced acid trip things that i can possibly imagine and as a rookie her hit rate on this stuff is about 55 percent, maybe but watching her but watching her be willing to try all the stuff and i think that's something that the older stardom rookies did a bunch more of is there's a lot more experimentation a lot more stuff like that about what we're being willing to fall flat on their face in the middle of the ring at karak when because it's a learning experience yeah that's one thing that i miss about new stardom compared to old stardom the rookies in modern stardom all start out with kind of the same kind of well they're more like regular lines. Lines. yeah and it, it's understandable yeah. why they did it differently in the past because they needed a roster their roster is coming from zero you have to let people because if you have a card full of people doing boston crabs for five <laughs> minute matches it's i know some yeah. people really love the young lion stuff but and you would you would have you'd have Lionsgate. <laughs> you yes. have which I don't. I lots of people watch it, and God bless them. I don't. So it's not my cup of tea either. So I think other things to sort of discuss. So really, by the end of the first year of Stardom, the things that have been established: Nanai Takahashi wins the World of Stardom belt in like a four-person tournament, beats Yoko Bito in the final, which is a way better match than you might expect, considering it's like Nanai's fifteenth, tenth, or fifteenth anniversary in the business, and everyone in that building knows there was no way in hell Yoko Bito is winning this match. Mm. Yeah, wasn't your, no what, way. Didn't people not people didn't like early Yoko, right? And she kind of got better when she came back. Yeah, it, it's that's uh, an awkward question. Okay. Oh, go ahead. That was, no, go that on. was my guess. I don't. I don't know. No, I wouldn't say that people liked her any more or less. Depending. She's always been Yoko's. Yoko has always been kind of a very solid mid carder version of an ace, is right. is the best way to put it. Uh, she it's the charisma, her, I think, that held her back in a lot of ways. Yeah, and she never quite had. She never quite had that spark that would put her over the way that I think she could have been because she's always been very fantastic. Technically, she's just always, she's always been such a straight worker. And and it didn't help that she was always paired with Yuzuki Aikawa or Kairi Hojo or these gigantic over the top personalities and people who just like, 
just like jump off of your screen when you're watching them. I mean, I think right. I don't not to go too much more into Aikawa, but I think in a lot of ways, the defining moment of Aikawa for me is when she beats Yoshiko for the wonder of stardom belt on their first, like their big July Karaka win. And so she's lying out in the middle of the ring, like in this, like in this like sexy kind of pose, with the belt draped over her shoulder. And her, one of her many nicknames is the Graburesera. She's both a gravure idol and a wrestler. She doesn't have to pick one. She doesn't have to choose one. She's both. And to me, that was basically an encapsulation of everything that she was because she wasn't going to compromise. She was going to do things her way. She took some hellacious beatings over the course of her career, but she was going to be who she was going to be. And I think that was as effective as anything in defining what stardom really is in the sense that, yes, these girls are attractive. Yes, there is the idol element to this promotion, but they are for the most part, either extremely good wrestlers or are well on their way to being extremely good wrestlers. Yeah. They take it seriously. You may not take them seriously yet, but they're taking what they're doing seriously. Uh, is a good way to think about it, especially especially if you like show some random stranger a match of that they might not be as all as impressed with as you are because it's someone's first match or whatever. Yeah. But you can, like Sean was saying, you can see, you can chart. It's that it's that mix of idols and wrestling that stardom does so well. You can cheer for someone who is very obviously just learning the ropes, and you're cheering for them because you can you you want them to succeed, even though they're not succeeding now. And then a year like year two year a year later, you're watching them. A year, year, two years later, you're watching them do some of the most amazing ring work ever, and you're just completely on the floor sobbing because you you watched you watched this happen. You were cheering for them every step of the way. You were you were screaming at your computer screen or screaming in the, screaming in the uh, the arena, like at at the ring. Just get up, get up, get up. You can do it. You can do it. I believe in you, and then they prove they prove it, and the, I mean, that pop is just like boom. <laughs> I mean, I don't even watch as you know closely as the two of you do, obviously, but just like watching you know like a Momo Watanabe, who I liked as you know a trainee slash young girl, and then watching her become what she's become already in Queen's Quest has been really cool. Yeah, and. So- uh, what you feel for Momo Watanabe is how I feel about Iwatani. Uh, right. Like 10,000 fold because like Iwatani gave no signs of being what she is now when she started. See, but I, you got, I, I want like, I, okay, maybe not no sign, but <laughs> it's more, I, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say, Sean. I know what you're going to say right, go and say it. Go ahead. <laughs> I my percept my perspective watching year one stardom is that she never really had an opportunity. No, like that's she the thing. Was, like she was a trainee. Yeah, but. but it's more like all the other trainees sort of had something. Like Arisa Hoshiki was clearly being positioned to be the Shawn Michaels of AMA. Almost all of the trainees had something that they were sort of given. I mean, Mayu Watani was technically the last person on the stardom roster to win a singles match. Yes. And now when you look at that and look at the journey that she's been on, some of which we'll hopefully get to cover over the course of whatever time we have left on this, it's just amazing. 
yeah, to think that she went from where she was, because all she really had was a bunch of boyish enthusiasm, let's put it that way, uh, <laughs> a bunch of tomboyish enthusiasm is kind of how they how they how they pitched her. She she also had um, the best ring gear, especially for me writing early show reviews because it had she had her name on the front of her uniform, which yes. made it much easier for me to identify her. <laughs> it always helps to put your name on your ass. It was on her chest, like actually, so it was very oh, yeah, easy to see right. she's wrestling. That's right. No, I'm just making the obvious joke about all the other all the male wrestlers who put it on their butt. What <laughs> so you should oh. do put your name on your butt. Yeah. <laughs> But, go, but now she's and now she's the like nearly undisputed ace. I, I mean, if you ask Io Shirai, that's obviously in dispute. But Io uh... wins. Lol. <laughs> I mean, Mayu, Mayu is like like so good, and I it annoys me when people don't give her credit. But like, I think you oh, okay. Know, like, but like, I, 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 I'm sorry to be keep being the person who's like constantly constantly th- saying these things but people who have been watching starting from the beginning have a problem with giving Mayu credit for that because Mayu spent so long not being booked that way it's one of the reasons why like, like why contemporary Mayu when she's last year like the, the, the last year before of her career before she got injured was so compelling because she had been with the company from the very beginning had been working as hard as everyone else and had never been Never been given that credit, right? And, and I just wanted to say, like, as an as an anecdote, like, so I showed that Yoshirai and Mayu Iwatani match from the one we were just talking about the the, the year in twenty sixteen match um, at an at an anime comp panel I did at Anime Boston last year, and you know the thing I didn't expect, and the thing that made me you know think a lot about how the two of them are presented versus what they're at, you know what they actually can do in the ring is the the one that people loved when they watched that match wasn't Io it was they loved Mayu like that's basically yeah. all I got after the panel was people asking me you know the people who reached out to me on Twitter wanted to talk about Mayu Iwatani so you know I think a lot of that what you're saying is true like people who are dropped in without any context can almost appreciate Mayu more than people who have been following this entire time I disagree with that for a variety of reasons, but we'll we'll get into that. Oh, okay. I'm just saying, they, so, they don't have the context for her as a loser. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we should we should get back to 2012 because 2012 yeah, so. is like we've talked enough about 2011 and how 2011 sets up what comes later. Let's talk about 2012. Go ahead. So Let's go. I'll try I'll try to outline this really quickly. So. 2012 starts, and over the early course of 2012, you get the debut of Stardom's essentially second dojo class. And the four women involved are Kaidi Hojo, who you may know currently better as Kaidi Sane in NXT, Akio Sakawa, Natsumi Shozuki, who is a name that modern Storm fans may not be as familiar with, but at one point was positioned essentially as the co-ace of the company after Aikawa left, which we will get to, and Yuri Haruka, who is, believe it or not, the only one of those four still wrestling in Japan right now, better known as Harukaze. She's on Marvelous shows. And also, I think she was on that YM, not Marvelous, what's it called? I think it is Marvel. Also on that YMZ show that you attended, John. I think she was there. Really? She's at every YMZ show, so almost certainly she was there. Oh, I'm going to look this up because I'm curious. She, she, she's the, back, the mask girl. Oh. Like the okay. mask girl. All right, all right. I know you're talking about yeah. it, I think. She's either in the mask or she's wearing those God awful glasses. <laughs> oh, she's, 
Oh, she was in the Act of Kawa retirement match? That you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, I think she was. Yeah, I, I, know, I know you're talking about that. Yeah, she definitely was on that show. She didn't wear the mask. She was, like, in the glasses, so. Yeah. yeah. She has the... She leaves the company for a bit, and then she comes back in what I think is some of the worst ring gear I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> and then she leaves again and gets better ring gear when she starts working uh, at YMZ. <laughs> Why is he, by the way, a promotion so tiny they don't even get a cage match? <laughs> like, I, I was just trying to find them on cage match, and they, they like, no one submits the results or the cards or anything. It's funny. But I, I attended them live. It was quite quite the... That's okay. Uh, Kaori Yoniyama loves them all the same. <laughs> but yeah, so 2012. So 2012, this, this yeah. influx of talent is pretty crazy like everyone involved in this is very very good at at least one thing unfortunately in the beginning of her career the one thing yuri haruko was really really good at was being very sympathetic while taking meetings like to the point where i could not i couldn't watch a lot of her matches because she just got no offense in it was just lying there selling and like no she's you know shit how at offense. no she's still shit at offense she, she has like, she has the arm bar though that's, that's, uh, but she has the armbar, and she's like good at the armbar. Like I was watching a match, like a 2012 match of the day, where she like pulls this armbar out of like everywhere. Like, like she just like she has nothing else, but her armbar, her like cross armbreaker is really really pretty. But she all takes a hell of a beating. She that's what she, that's what she's there for, honestly. <laughs> uh like if there's nothing else that Stardom does, it's like selling faces by. Get it, let in and get the shit beat out of each other, beat out of yep. themselves. Yeah, Ugh, words. So, I can. I'll talk a I little bit about. I'll talk a little bit about Shozuki since obviously we probably spent a bunch of time on Kaiyuki and uh, Octo. So Natsumi Shozuki comes in basically, and she's a martial arts gimmick. Now, to some extent, a lot of Stardom is very kickboxing influenced because of Fuku who's training them. But Natsumi has more martial arts, more of a judo. I think a judo background. Like so, she wrestles and she wrestles in a gi. There's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of just for I think a lot of Josie wrestlers are, are judoka, yeah. are like judoka backgrounds. But she just comes in and uses this stuff, and it's not something you'd really see in Stardom, so it makes her stand out right away. And she's having very good yeah. matches in like her first match of her career, like the second match of her career. And sure, some of these are with veterans, but at the same time, like you go throw someone in front of like 500 people in their first match ever and see what happens. The results usually aren't nowhere near as pretty as what. Uh, was it her this... second match against the Nanai? I think something like, like that. I think her first match was against Eo, and it was really good. Yeah, and her second match was against Nanai, and she actually seemed to, she actually gave Nanai trouble. <laughs> yeah, like, this is something else for sort of perspective. Nanai wrestled basically every newcomer to come to stardom for a very long time in matches that were called Passion Injections. And so I bring this up as a way to transition over to Tara to talk about Act Yasukawa more because the passion injection that Act had with uh, Nanai is probably one of my top 20 matches in Stardom of all time because yes. Act gives no shits about Nanai Takahashi or who she this is. This is like Act's second match ever in Stardom, I think. Like it's yeah, her, her, first match. Match, her first match is against Yori Haruka, so she gets to go beat up Haruka and look strong. Yeah, and then... And I don't even remember her match against uh, Yuri Haruka at, at all, but her match against Nanai is 
once you've seen it once, you just remember, like, because again, she's like she's like a newbie. This is like literally her second match after coming out of graduating the dojo against the Nai Takahashi, who has like ten ten years of a career at least and on her belt already. And she just walks in and she spits in the she spits a bottle of booze in the nice face and just like <laughs> fuck you. I don't give a, I don't give a fuck about anything you stand for. You are trash to me. I am going to walk all over you. Screams yeah. unintelligibly for like the entire like Nanai. I don't even know what she's saying because the match I watched, the version of the match I watched didn't have any like subtitles whatsoever. It was just raw video and she just subtitles like, back then either. Yeah. So, yeah. by the way, this used actually an 18 year veteran at the time. I looked this up just for the. It's used from 94 to 2012. So almost two decades. Yeah. And so, there, so Yasukawa has absolutely no reason to be this much of a dick. Oh, none whatsoever. She's just complete. She, the, the swagger is off the charts. She. Like, it, the she, she's in. like she's like Chief Keef dropping "Don't Like" on an unsuspecting rap audience. <laughs> it's what she's doing here. You this may have seen it coming if you knew her, but you didn't see it coming if you had absolutely no idea she existed before this. And Nanai cleans uh, not, Nanai cleans her clock, but good. But she, but Yasukawa keeps getting up and giving back. <laughs> the reason why Nanai beats her so bad in that match is because Yasukawa refuses to let Nanai walk over her. And Nanai finally eventually takes the bottle away from Yasukawa and <laughs> pours it over Yasukawa <laughs> to sh- when she wins. When she wins, she just she takes the bottle, pours it over Yasukawa's head to to say I'm the better one here. And Yasuka is just seething and screaming what I assume are obscenities at her. I don't think in the history of wrestling there has been anyone better at the acting element for for lack of a better term than Yasukawa is. Like, you can watch her promos before a match or after a match. You do not need to understand it, Japanese. You don't. No. She talks to you with her eyes she screams bloody murder and like there is just something that I wrote this on Twitter. It's like she's looking into your soul. It's really kind of creepy, but like I literally can't look away from the screen because it feels like if I do, she's gonna be behind me and is going to like break the bottle of rum over my head. It, it feels like if you look away from the screen, she's going to reach out of the screen and grab you and force you to keep watching her because she's mad at you for taking your attention off of her for a second. As you might imagine, she became pretty popular pretty quickly, like to the point where like she would do this thing where she would take the rum and actually spit it at fans, and like this became like a badge of honor, and the fans were trying to get her to do it to them. So she had to at one point I think stop, and so it got directed at referees and wrestlers and things like that. But like I genuinely feel like that if we're act is sort of the second person I think who really sort of embodied the spirit of stardom because. You have Yuzuki Aikawa, and then you have Act, and they're different in so many different ways, but I think at the same time, they both sort of embodied the spirit of what the company could be, what it was, and where it was really going to go. Yeah. 
like act is the personification of what I tend to think of as like specifically kind of like the stardom version of a heel. Like she's the fullest expression of it, but like even like the lesser versions of it that exist now as echoes of what she was doing are still kind of reflections of that. Far more than like Natsuki Tayo or Yoshiki. Or Yoshiku. I mean, I but think it's interesting. I knew I was going to fuck up a name again. <laughs> so, so, to put 2012 in more perspective, the other thing that happens around this time is you get stable wars, which are always fun. So, you, because you have. You finally have I, enough people on the roster to yeah. form stables. Yes, which helps. And you also have some outsiders who are coming in, like Hiroyo Matsumoto is working shows. Yu Yamagata is coming over from K-Dojo. And I think someone asked if stardom not working with other promotions is historically the case. And to some extent, they've always been isolated, but they've always brought in freelancers. They've always even brought in people from other companies. I mean, you'll see as we go on, like, there are a lot more guests. There used to be a lot more guests on shows than there are nowadays. Stardom and brings a lot of the- people in for tours now, but they, when they started out, they were bringing in people for, like, a couple shows here and there, but they weren't keep they weren't keeping people rostered around for a whole tour. But they were bringing people in. What they weren't doing, and what they still don't do, is going out from stardom to other promotions. I mean, they've had they've done stuff with Sendai Girls. They did the thing with Marvelous this year. They do stuff like that sporadically. Like if you look at the first year, like Eddie Sousa had like this, like basically a trial series, and they brought in some people from. I think they brought in someone from Sendai Girls, and they brought in some. They brought in people more back in the day. I think that's gotten cut off more in recent years. And I think to some extent that's because the strategy of stardom is being a lot more to build with from within. I mean, I think you can see the past couple years have been a lot more products coming out of the dojo. There's like three more women about to debut in the next couple of months. You have Hanan, you have Ruaka, you have Starlight Kid came out. I mean, even going back to Jungle Kiona and, uh, Hiromi Mimura, who debuted like late 2015. Since late 2015, the rate of Natsuki Tora, the rate of the rate of new students coming out has been much higher. And I think that's for multiple reasons. I think that's after the incident. I think it's also because now there's the threat of WWE coming in and taking a Tony Storm or taking a Viper. And for a company that had relied on foreign talent for a long time to sort of prop up and make sure they could run full cards, they yeah. need to be able to make sure they're okay if WWE decides to take Tony and Viper and Kaylee Ray in their next talent raid. Yeah, that's a that's a very that's a very good point. I mean, the fact that there's three debuting in March that's typically how it goes with Stardom. Uh, they typically debut three new rookies every year. Every year in March, if I if I'm remembering correctly. But uh, it's interesting to say I've got it. I think there was a year where they didn't her. really. Yeah, she she was weird because they debuted her by herself. Over, and I remember thinking, yes, yes, debuted over Melvin. But yeah, no. If you go, if you're talking about traditionally, yeah, like all these debuts we're talking about, like with Kaidi and Act, and everyone was like February, March of 2012. So they used to do it earlier in the year, and the later years that's gotten a little bit. that's changed a little bit, but it looks like they're getting back to that now with uh, with this uh, trio coming in. 
Yeah. One of the things about why it's neat that we're doing this episode now is because there's a lot of callbacks going on now that everyone is kind of overlooking because they don't know the stuff that happened in 2011 and 2012 and 2013 that this is all calling back to intentionally or not. But it's like this weird cyclical thing that's happening here. Yeah, I mean, you can even argue that like they're sort of starting the unit, the unit kind of battle up again. So to sort of summarize yeah. the unit situation in 2012, you have Nanai Gundan, which is Nanai Takahashi's unit. It had Hiroyu Matsumoto initially was part of it. You had Eddie Sousa, you had Yuri Haruka. And when Miho Wakizawa comes in, the former like All Japan women's pro wrestling wrestlers with the company for a long time, basically came out of retirement after years and years to rejoin the stardom roster. So that was the nice basic unit, sort of kind of like the main army in that sense, I guess. Then you have Kawasaki Katsuchika, Saikyo Densetsu plus one, which was the heel stable, Natsuki Tayo and Yoshiko, basically roughly translated minus the plus one. It's like the strongest legends of their hometowns, those two towns. And Aki Asakawa kind of played like the samurai to the to, the, to Yoshiko and uh, Tayo's daimyo. And then Saki Kashima joined it, but they didn't change the name to plus two. It was still only plus one. So your guess is as good as mine there. Then you have Zenryoku Joshi, which was uh, Yusuke Aikawa's stable. Yeah. With uh, Yokobito, Yuhi when she joined later in the year. Kaidi Hojo joined Zenryoku Joshi. And Zenryoku Joshi's main feud was with my favorite of the units, Planet which was sort of interesting because I remember there, I remember very clearly a backstage segment where Io is like try, talking to Arisa and uh, Mayu, who are still AMA at this point, about like sort of joining up with her. And Nanai kind of comes in and is kind of like, I can't understand, but it looks like saying, Io, stay away from my trainees, etc. But Io's like, no, I like these. And so eventually the three of them join with Natsumi Shozuki to form Planet. And so Io Yeah, because basically- at this point, Io is wrestling in Sardom, but she hasn't officially... Yeah, properly joined Stardom as like an actual rostered member. So Nanai is being Nanai is also it's heelish in a way, but it's also Nanai being pissed off about the fact that Io thinks that she could come into this promotion and just have her pick of whoever she wants to work with. You know, I think um, that's that's important. That's a good bit of context. So now you have these four units. And they start just fighting each other in, like, tag matches and, like, six-person, some great six-person tag matches. Like, there's some great Planet versus uh, Zenryoku Joshi matches in this in this era. Just, like, some great, great stuff. And there's also, in the early half of the years, if there's not enough going on, you have, like, a generation battle between the first class of trainees and a second class of trainees. So that's also going on at the same time as you're doing Mostly these battles. Mostly egged on by ACT obviously. <laughs> yeah, mostly being done by Act, who's like, kind of like, I don't want to fight like Mayu, and I don't want to fight Arisa. I want to go fight Yuzuki Aikawa, because I can kick her ass. Yeah. Like, Act stirs a lot of shit, as you might imagine, given her personality. I mean, so this is all going on. It's just a lot of this stuff. It's really good. It's really compelling. I just watched Stardom X Stardom 2012 for the first time in a long time the other night. It holds up just really well. Everyone gets time. So even like the rookies, like relative rookies are getting like 10, 12 minutes to go out there and just do everything they can possibly do. Like anything they can think of, any move they know, they're just going at it. They're going for it. It's like it's their WrestleMania. 
They're getting to do everything they can do. It's just everyone cares. It's like a seven-match show, which you never see anymore. I mean, stardom shows now are usually like five matches. But like like seven matches, is everything's going on at every level. It's, it's my yeah. favorite period of the company just because of how hard everyone's working. Because unit battles just make for such easy to understand, compelling stakes. And everyone's really growing into their own as a professional wrestler at this point. Yeah, Stardom McStar of 2012 is notable for, like, all the match. There's not a single match under 10 minutes on that card. And this isn't a promotion that added, at, that in 2012 could put on a compelling three-minute match. Like, it's... Like you, they could hold, they could, they could, they could put on a three-minute match that feels like it's a ten-minute match, not in terms of because it feels that like it's dragged out, but because that much happens in it. So, like they're they're going all out. Twenty twelve is like across, like Sean, Sean's right. Twenty twelve across the board is everyone firing on every possible cylinder at once. So it's basically like the high. Would you call it the highlight of the company by far? If, if you're going to watch one year's worth of stardom shows and you can get a hold of them, 2012. If you're going to watch one wrestler's shows for one year, just one cherry pick, one wrestler, you know, 2013, yes, Kawa uh, is a good, is a good bet. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to get a good feel for what the promotion is at at the height at the top of its game 2012 stardom is like that's when the that's when the promotion really comes together and boy does it come together yeah. i would if you're going to watch cards top to bottom i'd say 2012 for sure if you want the highest end matches the company has produced you want some of the more recent stuff where threedoms really grew into its own and that's not saying there's not like four star plus matches back then but 2012 did, when... did we ever but did we ever say who freedom is by the way because it's oh it's, sorry yeah uh, for people at home yeah freedom is the trio of io shirai kairi hojo and mayu iwatani in later years once they basically evolved into the whole three daughters of stardom the three top names in the company thing so the freedom name came when they had the they had the reign as uh as the as artists of stardom right yes okay. yes i think that's around when that came in but going when back they, yeah once they got I don't know if the name came first or the belt came first, but when they held the belt, they were three of them. I just want because we mentioned three of them a few times. I want to make yes. sure there probably is somebody at home like, what the fuck is three of them? So. We're going all over the place. We were trying yeah, to no. keep in chronological order, but we <laughs> yeah, are yeah, so we're not. Doing real, we're doing real bad. But oh like, no, uh, we're we're, doing, we're giving a lot of information. Relax. Like, people, so 20... people, people like the all over the place episodes from my experience, <laughs> but. So sort of continue 2012. 2012 is also a way in which a lot of stuff begins to congeal for later years, too. It's the first time Io and Mayu get together. They eventually start start doing some of the teaming stuff toward the end of the year. That will eventually evolve into Thunder Rock, the most dominant tag team in the history of the company. 2012 is also the first, first five-star Grand Prix. So that's like the first of their big, which is a big singles league format event for stardom that continues to this day. Mm-hmm. Won by Yuzuki Aikawa, who will go on, who goes on to challenge Nanai Takahashi for the belt in a failed challenge later that year. But 2012 is also notable because it begins 
a run of events that would lead a reasonable person to believe that this company may in fact be cursed. So, in August, I think it's in August, Yoko Bito and Yusuke Aikawa, partners in Goddess of Stardom tag champions, fight each other for the wonder of star for the white belt, the wonder of Stardom belt. Just to quickly we, go, quickly go on the belt. Really quickly, the, the belts, right? They, they that that comes from all Japan women's. Yes, yeah, the red belt yes. and the white belt thing comes from all Japan women's, and sort yeah. of talking a little bit about those two belts in particular. The world belt was really meant for the top wrestler in the company. And the wonder was always sort of meant to sort of be on the person who embodied most what it meant to be stardom, which is so why. The red, so the red belt is the world belt, and the, white belt and the white belt is wonder is the wonder belt. Yeah, red, red is world, white is wonder. Yeah. Yeah. So they have a match and it eventually result, and that match results in an injury to Yoko Bito that basically at the time made a cervical injury of some sort that makes her retire. So she was, so she's gone pretty, pretty much from that point on until she comes back way later. And so, which is a big deal because she was always billed as the ace candidate. So she's the person that, God yeah. forbid, let's say Yuzuki Aikawa decides to leave the company. Everything's okay. We can put this on Yoko Bito. But uh, that's not, don't worry about that. Yuzuki Aikawa is not going anywhere. She got injured too? What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, so yeah. literally like. Now, this isn't, the, this, this isn't, to be clear, this isn't the injury that causes her to retire here. She just gets injured on her hip and has to go out for a bit. The injury that kills her career comes later later on. It's not in 2012. If I'm getting the timeline are we right. Are we talking about Aikawa? Yes. No, this she's, kills Bito's she's, career. She's already, but, yeah. Aikawa's already decided to retire before 2013 starts, from what I know. She actually mm. announced she was going to retire before the title match with... Uh, with Nanai, just basically because, from what I've read, just too much of a beating on her body as she was getting older, and she'd apparently been considering retirement for a lot of 2012, but just kept going, kept going, kept going, and finally just, at one point, couldn't take it anymore. And that would lead to, basically, and keep in mind, while all this is going on, Stardom is getting bigger. Stardom has decided that it's going to run Sumo Hall in what will turn out to be Yuzuki Aikawa's retirement show at Ryugoku Cinderella in 2013, the biggest show that Stardom has ever put on then before or since. And I think the first, I think the first and the last time that a women's company has run Sumo Hall since, I don't think anyone's run it since this show. I don't think so either. Although I'm beginning to get the feeling that they're going to try again. Uh, that's just yeah, my that, feeling. That wouldn't shock me either, honestly. So, the thing the thing people don't understand, by the way, about Sumo Hall is it costs it costs less money to rent than um, you probably think it does, and that's why like you can like a DDT or a Big Japan, Big Japan especially, can make money at like four, three or four thousand people in the building. So you don't have to sell out like ten thousand people to. To make sumo all profitable, so like Stardom, if they build it up enough, they could probably put three thousand in there. I'm, I'm sure if they if they get if they get another big star, they can do it, and I think they're yeah. building to it. That's what I I think uh, so too. So, but I don't think they want to do it without being able to like. I know what you're saying that like, it could be it could be very profitable for them to run it even now, but I think I don't think Rossi wants to run. I don't think Rossi wants to book Sumo Hall unless he's sure that he can sell more than that. 
Right. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to book Sumo Hall and draw nine hundred. It's basically the problem. Yeah. But what people don't understand is like, like Sumo. Well, you know, I don't they, think they might... we can talk oh, yeah, about Rossi Ogawa a little bit, yeah. and maybe I, I, Rossi Ogawa is very, very money focused. Yeah. Uh, but he also has another goal, which is that because he's the guy who went from being the photog in AJW to front office guy his and ever since AJW what he's wanted is international international fame and international success he's one time he talked about building a stardom tower <laughs> as a dream he's not if he's going to sell out sumo hall he's going to sell out sumo hall in a way that makes it something that people across that people over here are going to notice it. So he's got more writing on it than just, you know, being, you know, in the black, as it were. If he's going to go for Sumo Hall, he's going to go big or he's going to go home. And that, so, but I think he's building towards that again. Now, in that context, I think, like, I think I pulled up the card for Ryogoku Cinderella in, uh, so this is April 29th, 2013. And your card, so here's your card. Is this the alpha female defending the title against? Yeah, this is the alpha female, which I'll yeah. talk about in a little bit, because that was real. that was actually a really cool thing for a bunch of reasons, but I'll get into that. So you had Sumire Yoshino and Yui Yoko, who's a trainee, I think they're both trainees of stardom at this point, beat Risa Sera and Rutsuko Yamaguchi in six minutes. I think both uh, Risa and Rutsuko were with Ice Ribbon at this point. So this is a show. They go all out. They bring in a lot of people for this show. Yeah. Sakamura's on this ticket. Yeah, Sakamura's on this ticket. Manami Toyota's in the second match of this show, actually. Uh, Miho Wakizawa beats her. Then there's an eight-man tag team match with that uh, John will appreciate because it is Gota Ihashi, Kota Ibushi, Lynn Byron, and Mayu Iwatani beating Eddie Sousa, Hikaru Sato, Makoto, and Michael Nakazawa. That's a, that, that match is probably, probably My awesome. favorite thing about Mayu goes through such nonsense in this match, but Michael Nakazawa is dressed as a nurse in this match. And the only reason I can possibly think of him doing this is because there was once a Joshi wrestler named Bad Nurse Nakamura. So my assumption is that he was trying to be Bad Nurse Nakazawa. Otherwise, I cannot think of any reason that he's dressed up as a nurse other than the fact that Michael Nakazawa is freaking weird. Yeah. But it was... And then, so fourth match, Miko Satomura beats Takumi Iroha, who I think is, at this point, just started with stardom at this point. Yes. She's originally a stardom good. trainee before she goes over and joins Marvelous. Yeah, then which, you... Yeah. I was going to say, that's why, that's, why her, that's why she came to stardom from Marvelous for, Yoko, for that match with Yoko. Uh, for anyone who didn't understand why Takumi Iroha was... Why this per- strange person from another promotion was coming in fighting Yoko Bito. They have a history that they have that they were respecting there. It was a really good match. I think that was one of Bito's best matches ever, too. One hundred percent agreed. <laughs> anyway, continue. And I just moving on. So the Wonder of Stardom belt is vacated by uh, is vacated by Aikawa because she's retiring. So Dark Angel, better known as Sarah Stock, current trainer, WWE Performance Center. Beat up Yasukawa for the vacant belt, and it was a pretty good match. High speed belt is on the line next. Natsuki Tayo beats Yu- Yuhi. So, quick thing about Yuhi Yuhi was actually like a Zero One trainee, but who ended up wrestling in stardom for the most part because Zero One didn't do a lot of women's stuff at the time. 
Yuki is Yuki is to me another one of those big what if stories because I thought she was pretty good. Like she took a ton of risks did a lot of aerial stuff, kind of like Saki. Not everything hit, but enough of it hit that it looked like if she kept at it, one day she was going to be really, really good. And then she retired once she was graduating high school. Yeah, that that's one of the difficult things about Joshi. For those who don't know, a lot of these wrestlers start very, very young. And life happens to you. Like, Arisa Hoshiki, I think, retired for the same reason, that she graduated high school. I don't even know if she retired. What she said is, I think she was retiring to focus on her schoolwork. Yeah, that's uh, even that's even better in a lot of ways, because apparently, apparently trying to wrestle in Karakawin gets in the way of your studies. I, I can definitely see that. Which is crazy to think about, because at an age when we're all, when a lot of us, where some of us may have had extra curriculum, might have played football or whatever, they're going to wrestling training. Yeah. Crazy. It's a, that's their after-school club. <laughs> yes. Up next is the Goddesses of Stardom title match, where Hosho Tenyo, Kairi Hojo, and Natsumi Shozuki beat the Kimura Monster Army of Haley Hatred and Kyoko Kimura. I should stop here to briefly mention that Kyoko Kimura comes into the company in 2012, gets into a pissing match with uh, Natsuki Tayo, basically over who's the bigger asshole. It looked like she was going to join Kawasaki Katsuchika Saikyo Densetsu for a bit, but ends up not, and ends up forming the Kimura Monster Army, which is basically the direct spiritual predecessor to Oedo Tai, and consists of Kyoko Kimura and as many large gaijin du jour as humanly possible they can bring into the company. Alpha female <laughs> being one of them, Haley Hatred, who also was in JWP before this, the female predator, Amazon, basically anyone yeah. you can think of. And so Monster this Army is, is like where a lot of foreign talent came into the company for the first time. And a lot of foreign talent who are going to pop who pop up again, pop up repeatedly over the next like three to four years, and then abruptly vanish when Akiyasakawa Akiyas and Kyoko Kimura leave the company. <laughs> So, I remember this match, because the entire point of this match is to put basically put Hojo and Shozuki over as the new center of the company, and it's just the wrong two people to do this against. It just, it, the match itself comes off as really awkward, and then poor Kairi and Natsumi, after being mauled by, like, your grizzly bear-like opposition, just getting a shipping out, and then they have to sing afterwards. And they're just, yeah, they're that. trying... And they're they are trying their best, but they are exhausted because again they have just went through like a thirteen minute title match in front of like X thousand people in Sumo Hall, and now they are trying to sing, and it, it just the entire thing is somewhat poorly thought out. It felt like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work, especially against Monster Gun. Uh... <laughs> like the uh, idea of what they're going. There's with there's is... no way like this match makes sense. It doesn't make sense on paper, and it barely holds up watching it like the idea of it makes sense and if you were but like hojo now could easily handle this but at the time they're a little over a year into their careers they're still trying to figure out a lot and they're being put in a spotlight that basically because of aikawa retiring on this show they're going to be the center they got a photo book around this time they win the goddesses titles in this match and the sad part is that, like, a month after this, or a little bit after that, I think, Natsumi Shozuki is forced to retire due to a similar injury to what fell Yoko Bido. So another yeah. instance in which things for stardom seem cursed. We move on from that slightly depressing story to the next match. Mika Nagano, who I should mention, 
mixed martial artist, wrestled actually for Ice Ribbon at one point before her MMA career, was actually on the first couple of stardom shows and then went away, and then came back for this, which I think is her last professional wrestling match. She teams with Nanai Takahashi and Tsukasa Fujimoto to beat Hiroyo Matsumoto, Kaori Yoniyama, and Tsuri in about 15 minutes. So sort of an all-stars kind of feel to this match. Yeah. Again, a lot more outside talent than stardom nowadays, especially, is known for bringing in. And then you get to the two main events. World of Stardom title match. Io Shirai beats Alpha Female to win the belt. Now, Nanai Takahashi... I remember that being good. Yeah, Nanai Takahashi held, that, held the World of Stardom belt for basically forever. My assumption is that she was going to lose it in December to Yuzuki Aikawa if Aikawa was staying around, but that didn't happen. So she actually draws Alpha Female at one point and then loses the belt later to Alpha Female in a rematch. And so this match is really cool because they have like the German National Anthem and the Japanese National Anthem play before the match. It feels like a big sporting event. And you can see Alpha's actually kind of choked up by it just because it's such a cool moment and everything. Yeah. And someone and Alpha is like, despite the fact that she's supposed to be playing a heel, Alpha is a gigantic goober in real life, and sometimes it shows. <laughs> and like someone asked what I thought about Alpha's run, I was fine with it. There's a lot of handicap matches where she just destroys people. Like, look, to me, there's always going to be a place for the monster heel, especially in Joshi, just where it just works. It always has. It always will. And in this case, it ticks two boxes because it's the big foreign heel coming in and losing the title to the uh, plucky Japanese babyface, Io Shirai, winning her first World of Stardom title. She has not yet defended the belt like her combined whatever it is, like 36 times or whatever nonsense it is. This is her first time with the belt. It's a big moment. Everyone in the crowd is happy. And then finally is Yuzuki Aikawa's retirement. Aikawa goes out on her back, as is the tradition, loses to Yoshiko in 15 minutes. It's a huge victory for Yoshiko in that Yoshiko hasn't beaten Aikawa on a big, truly big stage yet. She's beaten her in tag matches, beaten her in smaller shows occasionally. But this is, to my knowledge, I think Yuzuki Aikawa's third and final singles match loss in her career. She lost to Nanai in her debut. She lost to Akiyasukawa in the five-star Grand Prix, and she lost to Yoshiko here. And sort of like how yeah. the Goddesses match is designed to make Kairi and Natsumi like the big up-and-coming babyfaces, this is basically the confirmation that Yoshiko is the top heel in stardom. The whole thing is followed yeah. by Aikawa's retirement ceremony. It's really sad. I will admit I cried watching it, and I can't understand half of it. It's just, it's very emotional. And when one considers the fact that Yuzuki Aikawa is the person this promotion was built around, again, I mean, we said this earlier, but I don't think Ogawa opens stardom if she's not involved and on board. You it doesn't have, happen. You no. have now a gaping hole at the top of the company, and you have a lot of wrestlers who've worked very hard to get to this point, and the question is, where do we go from here? How does the company continue onwards without basically the person it was created around? Yeah. In 2013, you can feel that they're all struggling to kind of pull into that, which really helps for you. Uh, act in terms of her persona uh, and it helps Yoshiko too uh, in terms of her persona but a lot of people are a lot of like the story of 2013 is a company floundering because it doesn't know what it is without who created it more or less 
Yeah, so basically they, there's this hole there and they don't know how to fill it, right? There's this hole there and there are a lot of different people who want to fill it. Uh, 2013, if 2012's story was the story of units forming in stardom, 2013 was the story of units breaking and reforming around very different around very different personalities. And again, like, keep, keep in mind, Hojo and Shozuki are supposed to be the big future babyface act. And then Shozuki gets hurt and has to retire. So you already, so you've lost over the course of the past like ten months or so. You've lost Yoko Bito. You've lost Yusuke Aikawa. You've lost Natsumi Shozuki. All of whom you've were lost so, Aretha Hoshiki. You've lost Hoshiki, before. but even Hoshiki wasn't as on top of the card as those three names. But she was obviously someone they were grooming for the future. You've lost. So no, much I'm not talent. saying that. I'm no. saying, I'm saying like. To add insult to injury, you've also lost yeah. like a lot of names that started out with the company, and they've just vanished. Like they've just and, been yeah. taken out, not vanished, taken out yeah. literally by life. And you've also you also in this point start to lose a bunch more trainees due to injury. There's a lot of people who debuted in this 2013, like 2012, 2013, early 2014 range that either don't stick or they get injured early, or they end up retiring early. So you have a situation where there's sort of a big gap in, like, stardom isn't producing necessarily the talent it really needs to start making up for some of the gap that it has in its roster. And so one of the things that the company does is it starts turning to to foreign competitors to help make up the numbers and be able to put on more cards and be able to still keep having a reasonable number of matches on each show. Yeah, which is what's, like, if there are two things that kind of define stardom, it's that stardom is a lot more open to foreign, uh, like, foreign wrestlers coming in and becoming major players in the in the storylines and in the booking. And also the booking generally doesn't have a strong, does not have a very strong and strong emotional through line to it without the wrestlers building one for it. And both of those are in full force in 2013 and can be easily explained by what just happened at the end of 2012, which is that right at the start of stardom starting to congeal a narrative around how it's going to book things, most of the talent that was going to put those storylines on got injured or grew out of the sport. And so they had so, to bring they had to fill the gap somehow. And so like to me, this really is sort of the second like the company itself sort of calls post Ryugoku chapter two. To me, it's definitely the second sort of era of the company. This is where again some we mentioned like Sarah Stock, Alpha Female, a lot of the Kimura Monster Army members are starting to are coming in and wrestling more permanently for the company, coming in on more tours. As you might imagine, attendance is starting to suffer. So really, you you have at this point, you have Nanai, who's still a big name. You have Natsuki Tayo, who's still pretty well known. And you have Yoshirai, who's now the champion and basically the young ace of the company for the first time. So your yeah, attendance... she signs is... after this. Yeah. She signs. But in 2013, she's, actually, she's a full member of the company now. So... So... So then yeah. you... Sorry. 
So the end of the year, I think if I remember this correctly, they actually headlined their end of the year show with uh, Io versus, I think it's Arisa Nakajima in a title versus title match. I think it ends up being, I don't remember the actual result, obviously. I think it ends up being a draw or whatever they do. But that sort of starts to get the, uh, that sort of starts to get the ball rolling again. And then something that I forgot, or at least the way they put it in, this is around when, in early 2014, when Yuna Manase debuts, who was also in a former life a, a Gravore idol. So it's sort of like the second coming of Yuzupan. She now, I think, is with DDT. There are a bunch of injuries. She was involved with the actress girl Z at one point, but she left stardom like a year afterwards. So that wasn't necessarily as successful. Obviously, Sorry, what, what was the name one more time? Yuna Manase. She's with D. She's with TJP right now. Tokyo Joshi Pro. Yeah, Tokyo Joshi Pro. Tokyo She was with, I think, Actress Girl Z for in the beginning for a little bit. But now, and yeah. So, but you can sort of see the thought process, which will eventually lead us to Tom signing with the company uh, more recently. They're still looking for that sort of central North Star kind of star that you can eventually build the company on. I think it's pretty obvious by the way she's being booked and treated that Rosie sees uh, dollar signs with Tam. And he's not wrong oh, to oh, see him. Oh, oh, no, yeah. he's, he's really not. No. And look, she she's an idol who can who like actually has potential in the ring too. Like Yeah, and, and seems to very much enjoy when people throw everything they have at her too, if you judge by that match she had by the end of that match where she almost beat the ever loving shit out of each other. Like she had she had a lot of potential, I think. No, I definitely agree. Uh, so, it's hard to it's hard to understate the potential that a, that someone like that would have when someone like Atsushi Onita throws big ups her way. Oh, I forgot about that. She was in like death matches with Onita. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Onita, Onita gave her an exploding bat and put her in a coffin that he lit on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta see this actually. That sounds awesome. I don't. Okay, maybe, was it lit on fire or he? he no, he ring into the coffin with fireworks, and the coffin exploded while she was in it. Yes. Yes. Because because Onita. Because Onita. I, I think that's as good of a summary and as anything. It, yeah, and again, this is this is the person that we were saying is the second or third coming of Yuzuki Aikawa. That's the kind of person Yuzuki Aikawa was. That's the kind of person Stardom was built around to create, a, to draw people in using. She's very much what they were look what they were looking what they've been looking for since Yuzupan had to retire. Yeah, I mean you well, what what do you need for a Joshi if you're gonna be like a, a top star in stardom, that's almost pretty much the mix, right? You have to be you have to have a certain look, which she certainly has, but then you also have to be willing to stand there and get your fucking ass kicked, which she's been willing to more than willing to do so far. So that's basically yeah, you don't have to go quite so far as to have as to draw blood. Yeah. But you have to come you have to get right up to that line. So, I mean, I I, I think she, you know, if you look at that, they're obviously doing the three, the three hundred sixty-five days of Tam thing on Twitter. Yeah, I'm sure that's you know, there's good reasons for that. So, I I think she's winning the tag belts with Mayu this coming show, but we won't get into that for now. So now, so twenty fourteen is an interesting year for a bunch of reasons because halfway through the year in August. Yoshiko beats Io for the World of Stardom belt. Io's held the belt for 15 months. This may sound familiar to some of you who are watch who are watching the more recent product, but <laughs> Io Shirai held the World of Stardom belt for practically forever. What a surprise this is. 
Can we can and we this, say real quick? But sure. what, the, the the belts and stardom. And this is there's something that came up last time when I was talking with Alex about like the year in Josie and stuff. Like even if you like the in ring or in like a Sunday girl something better, I think anyone would tell you that like the Sunday girls belts are not protected well at all. And pretty much if you go through, I just did this before we recorded. Like all the titles in stardom are insanely well protected, except for the artist. Like, ex- well, yeah, well that's a, it's a trios title. Who cares? Yes. But like the, the wonder, the the world, even the um, even like I mean the tag titles, even even the high speed title, it's like pretty much everybody gets to have a, a like a there's a lot of long reigns, like these are really well protected titles. Yeah, it's just it's hard to notice because it's also hard to care about there are the two, belts there are two, particularly. There are two, there's too many of them, and I don't really care. Well, I don't. I, so you don't you don't think people care about who has the red and the white belt? I feel like they do. Sean may have a different opinion about yeah, this. I, um, I, I don't partic- I don't particularly care. So maybe it's just me projecting the fact that I don't particularly put much stock in it. Be- and maybe this is also an effect of the fact that they are so well protected that I never actually feel like there needs I ne- need to put any stakes in who mm-hmm. has them. I see what you're saying. But yeah, I, I mean, uh, look, people, but- people on Twitter that I f- will will just. Like when Tony Storm won that World of Stardom title, people were fucking mad about it. And I know part of that was that like how she won it. But like I follow a few a few Josie fans on Twitter who still grouch about her as red belt champion. And they grouch about it in a way that makes it obvious that they think this belt is a big deal and they don't think Tony Storm is willing to is you know which is, is worthy ins- of holding. Which is insane to me because she's one of the most protected acts in the company. Ever. Well, I'm just, I'm just, well, I think they mean, well, anyway, I don't, I don't want to get into it. Whether, yeah. whether or not they're right or wrong is, is one thing, but like, it's clearly this, who has this red belt, like, clearly means something to them. And look, I think, I mean, part of the reason why the red belt means something is because of the absolute storming, barnstormer of a match run that EO and Mayu put on for it. Oh, yeah. And, and EO and Kari before that, too. Yeah. yeah, I would. I mean, look, that belt I think EO's yeah. yeah. I, I'm EO made that belt something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I feel like Kyrie's run with it got cut short when she lost to Salamora. I think Kyrie should have had a longer run. I think it, the thought was they would give it to her again at some point in the future. Not, of course, knowing that WWE would one day come calling, but once EO got it back from Mako, that is as good of a match quality run as you will see anywhere in the world. I think it was a better run than Okada's. It was a better run than Nakajima's. It was a better run than Miyahara's. It was a better run than basically anyone you can name in any wrestling promotion. Basically, I would ar- almost almost argue ever. It's something that I've meant to write about long form. It's I like, probably will at some point. It's up there with, it's like up there with like, um, like Kobashi and Noah... I don't yeah, know. Like, it's I'm one of those runs. Like, like it's yeah. one of the all-time great runs. I, I think that run with EO holding the belt. I, I would agree with that because I don't think there's another reign holding that belt of continuous, continuous successful defense where every single match is actually worth watching. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's like Kobashi's run in that regard. Like, she has great matches. There's such a variety of people. You have Viper. You have multiple Mayu matches. The Shayna Baszler match, I think, is really good. Yes, yeah, so that match is fucking awesome. 
That matches the reason Shayna Baszler got signed by WWE. <laughs> yes, for, I think that goes without saying, honestly. Like, what else were they signing her from? Like, I don't know. What, like, wh- where the fuck was she even wrestling in America? She was in the West Coast, I think. But, like, yeah, her starter run was really good, I thought. I know there were some people who weren't super high on it, but I thought she did a no, great job of providing. She's basically the same exact thing she is in, start, in WWE that she was in stardom, and it works. I liked her as a green as a green shooter, but, yeah, that match was really good. So yeah. I mean, just she's the she's out al- she's alpha version two. Yeah, basically what she is. <laughs> yeah, you also have in that EO run not to keep we keep going through it, but you have the referee who continuously like just jobs people like sh- referee screws over Shayna screws over Yoko Bido hardcore in that match. I have to get that in basically anytime I ever talk about like Io Shirai's title right I have to say that basically that referee who clearly like loves Io Shirai will do anything to make sure she retains <laughs> the belt. Like it got, to, I think it got to the point where I don't want to take credit for this because I don't think they quite frankly care what a bunch of random guys are saying on Twitter, but that guy eventually stopped refereeing Io's big title matches. Because he was literally like, <laughs> Jump, like dive on top of her to protect her when like the opponent was going in for the kill and it happened multiple times to the point where like when Io when when not Io when Yoko was wrestling Mayu and the referee tried to protect Mayu like Yoko just like showed him out of the way and kept beating on Mayu was like fuck this I'm not having this happen again you asshole <laughs> I remember that <laughs> yeah. I was so mad I was uh, so mad because it took we are me so it, getting it, on topic again sorry yeah. So we're I mean, we're, the thing about start the thing about it. Yeah, we're twenty and fourteen. We've got we're we're getting to we're catching up to ourselves. Oh. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, where were we? Uh, we were talking about the belt, but why were we talking about the belt? Again? Oh, because you're talking about the, the because Yoshiko, Yoshiko has just won the world, right? Yoshiko. And then the and she's Yoshiko's the first. Yeah, she's the first trainee to win the belt. So she's the first homegrown stardom talent to be the to win the red belt, which is a can big we talk deal. about Yoshiko for a second? Because yeah. before you know what happened happened, I was gearing up to make a case that Yoshiko was one of the most underrated wrestlers on the stardom roster, and she's I was really make, gearing up to make that. I was gearing up to make that argument despite the fact that I was a diehard Akiyasukawa fangirl. That Akiyasukawa was the reason why I cared about wrestling again, all all that fun stuff, and I was still like Yoshiko is. Everyone who is not talking about Yoshiko is sleeping on a talent who deserves way better from everybody than she is getting. And then that happened, and I was like, well, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't say I mean, that I, anymore. I mean, but I know, I, st- but I, I know you don't watch her, but she's been she's been good since she came back. Um, no, the thing about it is, whatever moral columns I have, I understood why it was that people were like, "No, she deserves a an award." People who are less, you know, morally rigid than I am are. I can understand exactly why, because that was a case I was going to make before she beat my favorite wrestler into a bloody pulp. Yeah, I mean, the I, only thing uh, I want to say about the only thing I want to say about the whole thing that I feel like people people forget over and over again because of what they look like when they're in that match she was 21 i think i think that's a fact that's never spoken is that she was very young i'm not saying that uses her behavior i'm just saying and she's coming off of 
a year in which she is getting misused by the company because she's no longer the kind of champion that they really actually want to have. Yeah. She's getting misused behind the... She's getting frozen out behind the scenes and all, all of that stuff. It's not a good place for... When that happened, Stardom was not a good place for anyone to be. Least of all Yoshiko, least... And they, I'm not absolving Yoshiko of anything because you know my opinion on that. Yeah, that sort of thing. There's never an excuse for that sort of thing, but there is an explanation for what happened there. And Yoshiko winning this belt is a sign of where they could have gone, where they could have gone with it, and when they chose not to go with it. That a whole lot of things got set in motion because of the reason why they chose not to go along with it. But it became like 2015, a war, right? 2015 didn't. What happened in 2015 didn't need to happen, yeah. and this is the clearest sign of it because Yoshiko was getting pushed. Yoshiko deserved that push, and when they realized that Yoshiko wasn't getting the attention that they wanted their promotion to get and they started to bury her and also Yoshiko is just very different from everyone else in stardom Yoshiko is Yoshiko is closer to what they want from their foreign heels than what they want from their internal heels yeah and for a while there I think I think part of it was that she was getting protected by Nanai yep she was, and we can get into this with Natsuki Tayo and how things shifted more towards the Natsuki Tayo sort of style than Nanai's style but Yoshiko is very clearly no matter who actually trained her Yoshiko is very clearly drawing from what Nanai wanted as a stylistic legacy than anything else 100% and, and that's why people were saying would say like it's a, it turned into kind of this kind of this proxy war of what stardom would represent you had yeah. act on one side you know on the like more on the idol side and Yoshiko on the other side and you know, like in this deny like mold of like you know, this classic like grumpy, frumpy like Joshi wrestler, and and it's a shame that it worked out that way because at this point Yoshiko and Yasukawa they were friends. Yeah. At it's one really, point, it, it, oh. it's very like that's why when, when when people talk about the entire thing, and you know, I mean, it's just very sad, and I think it's very sad all around. And, and it, did, it didn't have to happen. Like it didn't that's have all to I happen. wanted. Like I, that's yeah. if if people take away one thing that I wanted to get off my chest in this episode is that none of that had to happen. Yeah. So I mean, I I, I totally understand why anyone would. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. And and 2014, Yoshiko is probably has her best year in the company. 2014, maybe. Yeah, Sean. This I'll, is Yoshiko's year. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in now, sort of try to cover all of this. Like, think you mentioned, one of the reasons Yoshiko was underrated for so long is because, quite frankly, obviously, a lot of people had no way to see this company. Because obviously, before Stardom World, before anything, back when it was seen by a lot fewer people, and look, Yoshiko from her debut understood pro wrestling. Is kind of how I put it. Aki Asukawa understood pro wrestling from her debut. Yuzuki Aikawa understood pro wrestling from her debut. With her sort of female Boncho character that Yoshiko had developed, 
Yoshiko was the lead native heel in that company. And sure, Natsuki Tayo was higher ranked than her, but Yoshiko was being positioned for this all this time. And I've never quite frankly understood why they had Yoshiko's first defense be against Saki Akai from DDT. Like it just, the way they positioned Yoshiko after she won the belt. I don't know if she was supposed to be a transitional champion or not, but she was the first homegrown talent to win the company. And I guess a lot of what you're talking about now rings a lot truer having remembered that period because it just felt like she's here, but they didn't really, I mean, she didn't even main event that defense against Saki Akai. It was a, uh, Nana, it was a Nana Kaidi uh, goddesses title defense that main evented that year end show. So it was, yeah. it was yeah, almost Risa, like, Sarah, and Takuma Aroha. Yeah, and it just it sort of felt like the company was hedging its bets. I mean, I don't think you could reasonably put Yoshiko as your world champion and expect her to be like an icon because but there hadn't really been like an, that idol as your champion because you had. The Nai Takahashi holding the belt forever, and then you had the Alpha Female run, and then Io Shirai had the belt. And obviously, Io is very, very pretty. She does all the photo books, but I don't know if you would call her an idol, just considering she just beats the shit out of people. And she's a little, she's a little more buff too. But... Yeah, like yeah, I don't think like I wouldn't necessarily think of her in that context. But then, like to me, the idea of having Yoshiko as your champion is done modeling, build up. But she's not an idol, yeah. sort of. Model. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. But like to me, if I'm thinking about this, if you have Yoshiko as well, I would I would have thought Yoshiko would have a long. And who knows? Maybe she would have had a long. I don't know the behind the scenes, but then this happens, and I think I've said this before somewhere. Like I felt like Yoshiko before all of this could have been Stardom's Aja Kong. Yeah, I thought very very highly of her talents. I've seen some of her work since not a lot. And this is really, again, another point we talk about stardom being cursed. Yoshiko and Akra, my two favorite wrestlers on the roster at the time this happened. Yeah. This ended up resulting in their, in both of them ending up leaving the company, obviously act ending up retiring in the long run. Right after this, a bunch of wrestlers got injured at one point. I think like three of the belts were vacant there's obviously all the stuff happens. There's the emergency meeting. Yoshiko stripped of the belt, definitely suspended, leaves the company. The, the higher ups take a pay cut for a bunch of months. And this is where also stardom bans punches to the face, literally ban. If you do it, you're disqualified first offense. So yeah. it's chaos. It's chaos. It's all the bad publicity that everyone's, everyone know it. Everything just, it eventually ends up. Nanai leaves. So like, Literally and it's important only- to establish that behind the scenes, they're trying to get Stardom USA, Stardom World off the ground for the very first time while all of this is going on. And I think, look, I said I was going to talk about this a little bit. Stardom compared to RCN and JD Star is the culmination of Rossi moving towards a more westernized WWE diva, TNA knockout sort of style of promoting this kind of this kind of uh, wrestling. And I think one of the reasons why they mis- misused Yoshiko to the point that this happened is because Yoshiko can't be the fit public face of a champion of a company like that. They just won't do it. They, they just can't fathom the idea that, that that an audience for that kind of wrestling would want someone like Yoshiko holding the title is the problem. 
and that's it doesn't excuse anything because you know I don't think it excuses anything but I keep coming back to it I've been thinking about it ever since it happened so I mean they I, put they put this they is the only chance I'm going to get to actually say that out <laughs> loud really without and you know I'm probably going to get a horde of people in my twitter mentions now that I've said it but <laughs> No. It feels like they put these put these people in an, like an unwinnable situation, and that doesn't mean Both Yoshiko had to fucking yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean Yoshiko had to break her fucking face, but it's almost like you put these you put you know you back them into this corner and you put them in this ring, and you know that's why I've always said that as much as Yoshiko deserves blame for that, and she clearly does, just you know Stardom himself deserves a ton of blame, and the, the officials who let that match continue the. The, the people that couldn't work out their fucking backstage problems before putting on that main event is the entire, just all the entire situation deserves as much blame as Yoshiko deserves, in my opinion. But you know, I know I, I'm not saying that forgives Yoshiko, and I don't blame anybody who decides never to watch her again. But yeah, you know, I do. And this I, this is me saying that the person who hardline doesn't watch Yoshiko matches anymore. Yeah, who won't I'm saying, watch like, Yoshiko as, matches anymore. Exactly. But, I mean, I, and I totally understand that and, viewpoint. And, but this is me saying, and me saying that with that context, that that didn't have to happen the way it did. And everyone booking on up is as much to blame for that as Yoshiko. Yeah, I just you should not have put that. Those two, the, the moment you watch that, if you are don't ever watch that. First of all, but I have you, never, I've honestly never seen it. I have, I have seen it, unfortunately, and like the two of them, just the, the I watched they, it, it once. It begins with like the two of them just fucking staring at each other for a long, long time, and just in that moment, you could just feel like the, they, these two people did not should, did not really want to be in the ring together, should not have been in the ring together. And something like I don't know if people knew when they watched it something bad was going to happen. You know, it's obviously the benefit of hindsight, but it's the fact that it quickly turned into what it turned into does not feel like something you know that could never happen. Like this wasn't this it clearly was a lot of animosity before the bell even rang. So yeah. it's just a, it's a very unfortunate situation all around, and you know it it definitely hurt stardom and it hurt it hurt women's wrestling, frankly. Yeah, but we didn't. We didn't set out to actually talk about this length. Yeah, no, I think we were trying we, to avoid we, talking we were about trying it. to avoid it, but but, uh, but I think but I guess that we it's... had to talk about it because it's it's all like as much as it didn't have to lead to this, it was kind of leading to it anyway. Yeah, and it completely right. altered the landscape of stardom. So yeah, yeah. And so I mean, we've talked about the cursed company. This is the lowest point for the company. And it's something that I remember wondering because I I started the blog around this time, like it was this was one of the first posts I made was something about this, and I remember thinking, okay, how do you come back from this? Because I knew a lot of the other stuff that happened, but it's like, how do you come back? And the answer, as it turns out, as the answer has been throughout a lot of Stardom's history, is foreigners and abroad and all of that stuff. Because later this year is when in October of 2015 is when stardom holds the two shows in the United States. It's when uh, Kyrie and EO and Mayu appear on Lucha Underground as the Black Lotus clan. And that starts to get the buzz coming in. It's when Medusa is associated with the promotion and they're starting to make this push. 
they're starting to make this push for Western audiences, which at the time, I mean, they're ahead of a lot. They're even, I think they're ahead of new Japan. They're ahead of almost every Japanese wrestling promotion that there is at this, at this point in time. Yeah. Because again, they're chasing this audience really hard and they're the first company to have an actual subscription service for overseas customers to sign up for to get subtitled content in their language. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can understate what Stardom World really meant. I mean, I just hopped on, for example, I just hopped on the English Stardom Twitter just to see how many followers it has. It has about 9,200 followers. And so I'm just wondering, I, I have no idea what these Stardom World subscription numbers are, but I wonder, like, what proportion of them are outside of Japan. Because when you think about a company like Stardom that maybe puts, like, thousand I mean, people in if you're talking about the english language twitter yeah. all of those people are probably like a vast majority of them are probably not no the i know japanese audience because yeah. the japanese audience has their own twitter but what i'm yeah i know but what i'm curious but there's probably some overlap but what i'm curious about is what proportion of that 9200 have stardom world and then when you think about let's say stardom does a thousand people for a karakuen there is probably an audience, potentially maybe two or three times or however many times bigger it is in the U.S. that are going to like a major stardom show, which I think would be all the more reason that it makes sense to expand, all the more reason that it makes sense to go abroad. And I think they figured it out very early. And I think I think what you talked about earlier with, with Rossi wanting to do this for a long time makes a lot of sense. I read that. I think I read the article that you read on the main English stardom site talking about his background and all of that. And Mm -hmm. it's just really, it's really interesting because it's something that I think it invigorated the company in a lot of ways. It ended up bringing in like the Twisted Sisters came to the company. A lot of new foreign talent came in and that sort of helped keep the company going during this period while they were working Without that infusion of foreign talent that, uh, we're talking about here. Oedo Tai doesn't exist. Yeah, and a lot of people like I know uh, Heidi Lovelace, Bitterner's Ruby Riot had a tour, and like just a lot of talent came in. Like La Rosa Negra came in from Puerto Rico, who's like one of my favorite Oedo Tai members. She fit in with them yeah. in my opinion perfectly. I wish she'd come back for the new Oedo Tai, but I don't know how that even works now. Isn't this so. when is this when Chelsea started too? I know she was a popular foreigner. Yeah, I think this is yeah, around, like, so. yeah, like 2015, yeah. yeah, like late 2015 or mid to late 2015, I think when she came in and teamed with, uh, teamed with Kyrie's Candy Crush, and that was super popular, and I think that also helped, like, with, uh, that helped with the West as well, and you have just, I remember just, like, being just, like, just how shocked I was when stardom world came out i mean also around this time in like early 2016s i think when the collaboration with actress girl z began i think that the start thing i think that's sort of where hiromi Mimura was part of that like oh that's the other thing late 2015 is when jungle kiona and hiromi Mimura debuted 2014 was hazuki who left the company and then came back later after io ripped mayu's heart out as yeah. She Stylized debuted as, uh, what was it? Uh, Ryo Hazuki. Ryo Hazuki, yes. And then she came back as HZK. Uh, when, when Io, you know, turned heel 
scare quotes, hopefully audible. <laughs> dun dun um, dun! And formed Queen's Quest. Uh, but yeah, I think I feel like we're getting ourselves caught up to like once Stardom World starts. I think we're about caught up to the part where it, uh, everyone else can follow along just as well as we can. Yeah, I mean, this, this is basically where I jump in. So yeah, it's like where I start watching a lot more on and off. And yeah, I mean, like, this is pretty much where I mean, what drew me to, to start him immediately, honestly, was like it was the match quality above anything else. And I think a lot of foreigners and it, it's an interesting discussion if we want to talk a little bit about modern yeah. stardom and the appeal, like a lot of foreigners don't actually understand what stardom is <laughs> like yeah, i know we, when we, i started watching i had no fucking clue like yeah, we definitely need to talk about this like we think it, we think and i think a lot of foreigners think that it's a match quality promotion because the high-end matches are legitimately like like you Shirai and Maya Iwatani was i think like my fourth favorite match in all of wrestling in 2016 and yeah and, i mean and, like, the match he, quality is really high but at the end of the day it's an idol promotion exactly Ross, that's, Ross, that's he's all right. about selling merchandise and getting people to part money for their favorite uh you know for their favorite girl exactly what i was trying to build up like westerners don't seem to understand that it's you know, and, and i didn't understand it first either that it's a it's not a match quality no, i didn't understand it either like i didn't understand it for like years and years of watching stardom because the oh. match quality was so high and you know the matches were so brutal and you know joshi is so hard to come by sometimes yeah. Yeah, can i yeah. say that, that that almost makes it more impressive not even almost probably like it makes it more impressive what eo and and kari and mayu and all these girls did because like they don't have to fucking do that like it's not really the selling point of the promotion and they still go out there and fucking no. just kill like, each other and put on these classics I mean, it that's... didn't have to be like that. Like yeah. it, the only reason it's like that is is kind of a carry on from that carry through from AJW to Arsian to JD Star to Stardom. Like that's that's just a that's a stylistic through line from those promotions that Rossi's carried over. But it didn't have to be that way. It makes it even more impressive, I think. And they those girls deserve so much credit for what they what so, they do. So. But like Let's so, so so my thoughts on all of this. The Western fan base got into stardom, I think, primarily through one of the modern stardom fan base got into stardom through one of two means. One of them was that interview that was posted on Dirty Dirty Sheets with Aki Asukawa that talked about her story and everything that she'd been through. I think that was one of the main things that drove a lot of people who didn't know about the company to the company. The other thing is, as you guys mentioned, freedom beating the high holy hell out of each other. And the and the act the act the incident. I mean, yeah, you know, no, I I think that's that's fair too. That, unfortunately, that, there is no. Unfortunately, there's no such thing as bad publicity yeah, or publicity. Like I like that 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 got humongous coverage in the Western wrestling world. Like Meltzer wrote about it extensively. A lot of the people wrote about I mean, it. I think I think I it would be, have been a different story if Stardom hadn't immediately rolled over and band punches had the whole had that whole press release done all done all of the public you know the pr p- public relations and face saving that they could to say this was unacceptable and we'll never never again yeah uh 
But I think we're I think anyone would be kidding themselves they don't if they don't think a lot of people heard of, first heard about Starbin through that incident. So yeah. no, I think I think that's fair. I think that's where they first heard about it, and then the fact that the second time they heard about it was Stardom doing all of that. Yeah. I think that's what kept them around. I think that, so. It's impossible to tell whether they made that decision because it was a good decision or because they knew they had to. Either way, it was a good decision that they made. Yeah. It's just that it didn't have to have be a decision that they made under the circumstances they made it. That's all. Look, and quite frankly, to the Western fan base, in a lot of ways, it is a, it is a match promotion because even now, even though they have the website, just the the quantity of goods isn't available in the Western world. I mean, we talk about understanding what it really was. I knew, but I didn't know, no, until I walked into <laughs> that community center in Osaka to go to my, to go to my first show live. Yeah. And which it was too, Sean and I both came <laughs> to start them live and it's, it's an experience. <laughs> I mean, I, I just watch it. I just watch it, you know, on video and I'm just like, Oh boy, some of the people in that crowd. Oh. <laughs> there's, these, there's these two guys in the front row that like, every year showing Corican. Like one of them is like always in like this tan jumpsuit or something, and the other one's like I don't know his buddy, and they always give these looks on their faces like I don't know. It makes me want to take a shower when I look at them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and and look, it's it, it, it they like, do a crazy amount of merch business i have never seen i've been to Indi- john knows i've been to independent shows with him everywhere i have seen long merch lines i have seen people selling their wares i've seen the young bucks at work i have never seen a merch line as long like it's wraps halfway wrapped halfway around this building i mean this is a little community center and also there are probably like 400 500 people there I would say like 300, 350 people at any given time were in the merch line. I saw more 10,000 yen bills moving around than I've ever seen in my life at any given point in time. And they do what I can only assume is a crazy merchandising business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I when I walked into that, like people who don't know, if you've, only, if you've never been to like a, a, a woman's show at Kirken Hall, there's like an entire different setup. It's like you, you walk through... Um, almost like the ticket office, which would be like closed. The back of it would be closed off on the other show to get into the building. You walk through the ticket office into this other back area. And it's like the traditional like Joshi area. I don't know how to describe it. It's like this. Basically it's like a big merch area and they just have these tables set up. And you know, I, I got there pretty late. I think for the merch, like I got there really close to the start of the show. And there were still a ton of people mulling back there with a ton of wrestlers, like, you know, hawking their stuff at all these little tables and you know it's just it's very obvious to me how they they they're profitable with like 900 fans or whatever because like like sean is saying probably 600 of them bought merch so yeah and with with that kind of with that kind of situation you can understand why it is that once any foreign talent gets on a stardom tour why it is that they want to go back yeah because not like Tony, not like Tony Storm is making that kind of merch money, you know, on a random U.S. tour or something. So. No, no, probably not even making that kind of money. She's definitely not making that kind of money on a Europe tour. Yeah, and I mean, I think what we're talking about now sort of is one of the newer developments of the company that you have. Tony Storm is basically was contra- is a contracted Stardom wrestler. You have Viper, who is with Oedo Ties, popular enough that now she's with Queen's Quest, which is, I mean, EO is. Mayu is, in my opinion, the ace and should be the ace, but Io is like eternal queen ace of stardom for as long as she will ever end up being there. And just like, because 
I yeah. I totally thought Queen's Quest was going EO to has hit a point where EO has hit a point where she doesn't need a belt to be that. But the belt is just way. proving the point. Yeah. And but the it's belt like is just gilding the lily. Yeah. I I really thought that the whole point of Queen's Quest was originally going to be the M2K to Oedo Tai's Crazy Max, to use an analogy John will appreciate. Yeah. But no one can boo EO. Like, that turn shook me. I will never look at EO the same way. I will never enjoy her as much because of it. Because they did a phenomenal job with that. Like, that's one of the best turns in wrestling history. And EO's just that popular. It's kind of like the whole Austin Rock thing where they tried to turn Austin. Austin's too popular. It didn't work. And granted, I think they've pivoted well with it being now EO is leading the next generation just like she led Mayu at one point and you have this little bit of internal rivalry where HZK wants to take a shot at her and uh, Momo is now going to take a shot, I'm sure. That that EO-Momo match, I, I have really high hopes for like they put on an incredible match in the Five Star Grand Prix, I think, like two or three years ago. It's one of my. It was an amazing, amazing match. Like I legitimately thought Momo was going to beat her. Yeah, uh, it was. It was something. <laughs> Momo is something. Yeah. Also, Momo after turning heel got really, really savage and started threatening to kill people. Yes, yeah, one of my favorite promos. Where she she's given that promo. What's your name? Got like sick with the flu and Mayu. My, yeah. and like Momo gives a promo where she's like just talking backstage and she's just like, "You need to hurry up and get better so I can kill you." <laughs> you said it's so matter of factly though. That's just so great. What was great? Talk- what was great about Momo turning into that is that like at the same time, this is like when Azumi is just finally is really starting to co- cohere as like a worker her on, on her own right and you know azumi is trying to be what momo already is <laughs> azumi yeah. is the best azumi is the best pro in stardom though like barna she's the best pro in the entire company it was the best oh, pro yeah. in the company when she was like just in the company because she just called she had the best like, promo in the company when she was 13 yes it's especially funny when they pair her with Mimora because I think Mimora is in like her early 30s, so she was calling her like old woman and grandma all the time, and yeah. Hiromi just looks so offended. It was fu- it was even funnier when I thought Mimora was in her 20s, and that and that like it was funny when I thought Mimora was in her 20s, and then when I found out Mimora's like in her 30s, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, so they have a they have a really big quirk coming up, which we I think we kind of alluded to just now, yeah. but. That's this, um, I believe it's this Sunday, right? The 18th? Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to air on Samurai, I think, on the 24th. Uh, I assume it'll be up on Star Yeah, it'll go up on Star Over the course of the next week, it goes up on Star Wars. They usually yeah. upload like, one match yeah. a day. I got you. I mean, I'm going to probably wait for the Samurai airing because I, I love, like, Samurai yeah, airing. Yeah, the event better. should go up, like, I guess, usually goes up by about noon. Okay. So that's Yusurai versus Momo Watanabe for the Wonder of Stardom. Tony Storm versus Mako Satomura on a non-title dream match. Um, Kigetsu and Hanakamura defending the tag titles against Mayu Iwatani and Tom Nakano, which I'm really excited about. Um, and then like some normal no, normal undercard stuff. But those three matches, that's a really cool top of the card. Yeah. And I, one thing I do want, the one thing I do want to say is that for the first time since 2012 to kind of start bringing this full circle, it feels like stardom is starting to develop a congealed undercard. I mean, we have Ruaka and Hana and they're young, they're very young, but they're 
they each bring something a little unique to the table. They're starting to develop their move sets. With Azumi developing in Queen's Quest, the point where now she can back up her amazing promos in the ring. Natsuko Tora, I think, is criminally underrated. I thought she was very good from the time she debuted. Has been getting better all the while while she's working with Team Jungle. I remember when she debuted, I was like, "Oh, hey, look, it's a rookie with an actually uh, different move set." Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> but... thought I thought they were going to have her go heel and be like kind of like that Yoshiko role because initially she kind of had an attitude about her, and I thought they were going to go that route, but they didn't end up doing that. And then, I mean, she fits in really well with Team Jungle, to be honest. Does. No, I agree. And, you know, she's a great little sister type for, for uh, 